time to screw the norms. To fit in, we often hide what's on our minds, who we really are, or who we want to be, or even what we want to do. But now you're having the right conversations. Here, we'll talk about sex, relationships, and mental health, and how they interact with each other and so many other aspects of life. Shame can't survive when we're honest and curious with each other and ourselves. It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 27. We are plowing through these episodes. Episode 27 of the Right Conversations podcast. I am so, so, so thrilled today to be joined by Allegra Castens, and we are talking all about OCD. Allegra, welcome. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Oh, same. So first and foremost, will you tell my beautiful community who you are, because I know who you are. I mean, kind of, we haven't actually met in person, which yes. will change soon. Yeah. <laughs> so I am a licensed therapist specializing in the treatment of OCD, anxiety, and eating disorders. And I have lived experience with OCD that kind of turned my whole world upside down. And it really led me to pursue a career in clinical psychology. And it led me to this specialty of mine, which is really, I think my life's biggest passion. And I love educating and advocating. I'm on Instagram at obsessively ever after. So important to me to have that platform because so many people suffer in silence, just not knowing that what they're experiencing is OCD because it's so misunderstood. Yes. So much of mental health is so misunderstood. And I mean, that's the same motivation I have with Instagram and have such a love hate relationship with it because I in no (laughs) way, no way want to support Mark Zuckerberg, but in every way want to reach as many people as we can, especially as therapists. Cause like for years we were limited to this one-on-one interaction. And so to be able to reach and help and support people without even meeting them is such a powerful thing. Absolutely. So let's just dive in. What is OCD? (laughs) Can you like for the people? Brilliant question. (laughs) (laughs) I could tell you a hundred thousand things that it's not, but we'll start with what it is. So it is a mental health condition that is essentially defined by the presence of obsessions and compulsions. And both of those things are very misunderstood to the general public. An obsession is first and foremost, I want to start with, it is ego dystonic. And so what that means is it is opposite to a person's beliefs and values and morals and character. It does not at all align with who they are. And so the obsession is a repetitive, intrusive, unwanted thought, image, urge, sensation, And it essentially pops into the mind and it replays over and over and over and over again. And it is the last thing that somebody would ever want to be thinking about. It's not just the fear of contamination, even though that is an obsession for sure. It, I mean, the content of obsessions spans, I mean, the universe, it could be about anything. It could be unwanted thoughts about 
sex with family members or children or animals. It could be obsessions about the rightness of one's relationship, obsessions mm-hmm. about, you know, whether or not we're living in a simulation, like existential obsessions. And the really key points there is that number one, it's unwanted, it's distressing, and you just can't shake it. Like we've all had that odd, unwanted thought from time to time, but the person without OCD can shake it off and just move on with their day. Where the person with OCD, the obsession sticks. It is tormenting, it is all consuming, and it is extremely anxiety provoking. Much different than what we hear, you know, when Khloe Kardashian says, oh, I'm so OCD, I love to organize my pantry. The exact opposite of what OCD is for someone. And because the obsessions are so anxiety provoking and sticky and distressing, the person with OCD feels the urge to perform compulsions, which can be both physical and mental in response to those obsessions to either alleviate anxiety, prevent something bad from happening. And I put that in quotes because a compulsion is not going to prevent something bad from happening. And these obsessions and compulsions are very time consuming take up at least an hour of someone's day. It's not just, let's say I wash my hands once. For somebody with contamination obsessions, it could be I'm in front of the sink for 20 minutes, washing my hands until they bleed. Or I am ruminating about this sexual obsession about a family member for three hours a day, and now I've missed work because I just can't stop ruminating compulsively. How do you see this show up relationally? Like when there are obsessive thoughts or compulsions around romantic relationships? That's such a great one. So that is like, there are different nicknames for certain OCD themes. We call that relationship OCD. At the end of the day, it's all OCD. Those nicknames kind of just help people understand like the content of their obsession and what's going on. But typically relationship obsessions can focus on the rightness of one's relationship or the rightness of one's partner. So it can be this unrelenting, what if I am not with the quote unquote right partner? What if this is not the quote unquote right relationship for me? What if there is someone better out there? What if, I mean, you name it. What if my partner is cheating on me? It can be a relationship obsession that someone experiences. And obsessions are also very irrational. Even if there is absolutely no evidence that let's say someone's partner is cheating, if they have an obsession about it, it's really out of their control. So typically we look at the rightness of one's partner, the rightness of one's relationship, and it becomes all consuming. Okay. Thank you so much for defining that. Are there any other examples of obsessions and or compulsions that are common that people Mm -hmm. may not realize are OCD that people may just think like, oh, isn't that what everyone thinks all the time? Right, right. Oh my gosh, so many. I like to talk about the taboo ones because I think that they're not talked about enough. So like violent obsessions where people fear that they're going to snap and harm somebody else. It Mm -hmm. might be, you know, they're cutting up vegetables at dinner time and they have relentless intrusive thoughts about what if I just took this knife and stabbed my partner and the person will then compulsively hide all the knives. I've had clients literally take all of the knives, lock them up in the back trunk of their car They don't want to sleep next to their partner anymore because they're so afraid that they're going to just snap in the middle of the night and stab them. 
sexual obsessions, like I said, are very common about kids, animals, family members. It could be, what if I'm a pedophile? Even though there is absolutely zero evidence, the person knows this is the last thing that I would ever want to think or be. It's all consuming. They avoid kids. They are researching online. How do I know if I snapped and turned into a pedophile? It could be um, sensory motor obsessions or another really big one where somebody has a hyper awareness of automatic bodily functions like blinking or breathing. So the obsessional fear is what if I never stop noticing my blinking or breathing? I mean, postpartum obsessions about one's baby. What if I snap and harm my baby? What if I throw my baby down the stairs? What if my baby contracts SIDS and dies in its sleep? I could just, I could go on and on, but. Yeah, no, I, and I so appreciate you listing these because I think that, you know, so often, and this is. This, we think we're the only ones and mm -hmm. that can make it so isolating and scary. Like no one else could understand, or I can't even say this thought out loud because oh, yeah. I'm going to be judged. And, and, and then that just keeps it in and, and makes it so much worse. So with these obsessions, how can someone identify the difference between an, uh, like an unwanted thought being hypervigilant and an obsession? That's a good question. So kind of like, is what you're saying, don't we all kind of get that like unwanted thoughts? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. So everybody from time to time does get an unwanted intrusive thought. Like everybody has had that thought. Like what if I had sex with my mom or whatever? And it's like, Oh, right. But I'm to, right. And you're like, ah, but you're able to move on from it like pretty easily. Like I said earlier, the person with OCD cannot, it is all consuming. It might replay in their mind all day, just continuously popping in. The person with OCD tends to feel an immense sense of urgency and dread to then figure this out. It, I mean, you're going to know if you have OCD, it's just all consuming. It's like, it's sticky. It's there. It's not just something that you're able to say, I didn't like that, but I can move on from this. That makes a lot of sense. So, okay. Relationship OCD. Mm -hmm. Talk to me more about this and what it looks like, how someone could know that that's how it's manifesting. Totally. Like I said earlier, OCD is very irrational and it's also egotistonic. So what I often see is clients coming in saying, you know, I'm engaged to my partner and I absolutely love my partner and I'm so excited to get married, but I woke up one day and started having all of these thoughts about this possibly not being the right relationship. And the fear, the obsessional fear is tormenting to them because they love their partner so much. And what tends to happen is the person goes on a compulsion rampage, right? Because they have OCD and I mean, compulsions can look like anything. It can be asking their partner for reassurance. It could be Googling online for hours. How do I know if I'm with the right partner? And a lot of these obsessions, like we don't know if you're with the quote unquote right partner. Right. right. There's no, so, it's not like an objective right. answer. And certainly Google's not going to tell you. No, absolutely not. And I always say that to clients, like Google is going to confuse you more for sure. And, or it could be like, is this relationship right for me? Some people get really stuck on, is this the one quote unquote, even though again, there's not really an objective answer as to what the one is.
And it's distressing to the person. I can't say that enough. Any kind of OCD, any obsessional theme is extremely distressing. It's not, you know, I actually don't think I'm in the right relationship and I don't like my partner and I align with that. It's these obsessions terrify me and I do not align with them. That's how you can kind of recognize OCD is like I said, it's egotistonic. You don't align with it. It scares the shit out of you because you value your relationship or your child or your health so much. So is it possible for someone to have obsessive thoughts without having OCD? Definitely, for sure. I think that, I mean, and even different mental health conditions, we can see obsessions, right? Like even eating disorders. I tend to tell clients, like there are obsessions, there are compulsions. And someone can have like relationship anxiety in which they're thinking about their relationship a lot, but it might not necessarily be OCD. So someone can definitely think in obsessive ways and not have it. With OCD, you would see the presence of both obsessions and compulsions. Some people think, well, I just have these relationship obsessions or I'm just thinking obsessively, but I'm not doing anything compulsively. If someone has OCD, they're absolutely doing compulsions. They just might be mental compulsions, which people tend to not recognize as compulsions. So for anyone listening, I just want to like make a meta note here. I have often talked about why it's so important to find a therapist that specializes in a diagnosis. And this is exactly why I want you to hear the nuance in the way that we're talking about this and the questions that I'm asking as another licensed therapist, because I don't specialize in OCD. And I think often, you know, when people are looking for a therapist, I don't know if you encounter this. I often do. It's like, oh, well, I went to someone because on their website, they said that they work with everything. Oh, that and I'm like, that no, no, they don't. Like, they they don't. don't. I swear they don't. It's impossible. <laughs> like there's no way. And so I just, if you're out there and you've been thinking like, I want to work on this, I want to find a therapist that works with this, whatever this is, listen to the nuance in this conversation, even if this particular topic is not your particular topic and hear how much nuance is here. And this is why it is so important to find someone who specializes. We do this with medical doctors, right? Like, oh yeah, we don't go to a foot surgeon for our heart surgery. And Mm -hmm. yet people are like, yeah, but like a therapist just knows all of the things. Nope. 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 Like we learn about all of the things that's true. Just like a doctor goes through general medical school, but we wind up specializing in things and it's just important side note. No, it's so important, especially with OCD. I mean, with every mental health condition, but because OCD is so misunderstood, clients will often go to a therapist who doesn't get it. And that Mm. therapist is actually kind of participating in compulsions with the client. And it makes the OCD worse because the therapist doesn't recognize that reassuring their clients all day or, you know, engaging in rumination out loud about the content of the obsessions, they don't recognize that that's actually not helping, it's harming. Oh, so how could a client notice 
Like if, if someone is sitting here and they just heard us have this conversation, they're like, they're like, oh, shit. shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, all I the think, therapists are getting fired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like what, what, what could they do? How do you best recommend they bring that up to their clinician? Yeah. To see? I would definitely talk to the clinician and say, you know, like number one, there is a very specific kind of treatment that is evidence-based and it is the gold standard treatment for OCD. It's called exposure and response prevention. There are other adjunctive treatments that are extremely helpful as well, but asking the clinician, you know, do you specialize in this? Do you understand OCD, you know, or what is your understanding of OCD? That even can be a very telling question. If they say something like, you know, people, are very detail oriented. Like that's not what OCD is. And I like to tell clients get very specific, you know, like what OCD themes do you treat? A clinician who doesn't understand OCD is probably going to have no idea what that question even means. Yes. So asking their therapist, like, do you actually have experience in this? Because it is nuanced, like you said. And if you're with a provider that doesn't understand OCD, you are probably going to suffer more and you're going to be spending money to suffer more, which sucks. Yeah, that's, that's fucking awful. Mm-hmm. I want to quickly interrupt this episode to talk about my latest project with Best Self Co. If you don't already know, Best Self Co. is a brand with a range of simple yet meaningful tools that help people achieve their goals, be more productive and create positive change in their life. I've had the pleasure of working with Best Self Co. on a few projects, the latest being their brand new Intimacy After Dark deck. This 150 card conversation deck is a tool for talking about and exploring sex to bring more connected intimacy into your life. The deck was designed with all relationship structures in mind and includes a conversation framework adapted and approved by me that guides you through consensual and comfortable conversations about sex. Best Self was so kind to provide a code to my listeners so that you can get your hands all over the Intimacy After Dark deck before it's gone. Use the code Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, during checkout at bestself.co and get 30% off the new Intimacy After Dark deck. That's bestself.co and code Rachel for 30% off the new After Dark deck. I want to thank Best Self Co. for being one of today's podcast sponsors. Now, back to our conversation. Okay, we ta- I want to get into treatment in a second, but first I want to dive into a little bit about why OCD is so misrepresented mm-hmm. and whether that's the media, like you mentioned a Kardashian earlier, um, whether that's the media or confusing it with other diagnoses why is OCD so represent misrepresented and how do you most often see it misrepresented? Another great question. It really gets number one is it gets confused with OCPD obsessive compulsive personality disorder, where there is a preoccupation with detail, orderliness, perfection. There's a lot of rigidity around my way or the highway. This thing has to be this way, but One of the differences between OCPD and OCD is that the person with obsessive compulsive personality disorder doesn't think there's a problem. It's not distressing to them. It's egocentric. And so people tend to think like, 
Chloe, for instance, you know, I like my pantry organized in this way. I'm not at all diagnosing, but that would probably fall more under the OCPD category than it would be OCD. OCD is extremely distressing to the person. So people get that confused. Oh, OCD is just about attention to detail. It is absolutely not. And another reason is people tend to think that it's just about contamination. So even if people do have a kind of sliver of an accurate perception of OCD, it's people with OCD fear contamination and they wash their hands compulsively. Because in the media, if OCD is represented accurately, that's all we tend to see is somebody compulsively washing. You don't see the person who's so afraid that overnight they snapped and turned into a pedophile and is now ruminating for 12 hours a day. We don't see the new mom who is afraid that they're going to throw their baby down the stairs because they keep getting intrusive thoughts saying, do it, do it, do it. That's terrify them. Yeah. So we only see contamination represented. It gets very confused with OCPD. I would say those are the two biggest ones along with the media. I mean, both of those things kind of involve the media. We see the television show Friends where I've never actually seen it, but Monica is supposed to have OCD, I think. Yep. But even just watching some of the clips online, like it doesn't appear to be OCD. It seems more OCPD. Like she wants her pillow where she wants her pillow. Yes. And she likes that. That is not at all OCD. For somebody with just right obsessions, which is very real, there are obsessions where someone feels like they have to do something over and over and over again until they achieve some internal feeling of rightness. Mm. That is distressing to the person. They don't enjoy it. It's not, let's set this pillow down and I like it here. It's, I need to set this pillow down until it feels right. And someone might spend hours of the day putting that pillow down until it quite literally feels right internally. It's a very different experience. Thank you for explaining that. And yeah, I think you're right. Monica on friends is definitely more OCPD than anything. I mean, and it's things like that. And I see this a lot in my area of specialty with relationships and sex where people talk about sex addiction people talk about like they represent communication in relationships horribly horribly right? and then make it funny mm-hmm. and it's like that was abusive like why why is that the punchline of a joke right and it's it's really hard to watch something that is so beloved and and I loved the show friends you know when it I, I loved it but re-watching it there's some really cringy shit in there. so cringy and that's what keeps people stuck you know like there's some yeah. statistic it's like the average it takes for someone to get a diagnosis and treatment for OCD is 12 to 15 years Oh my God. A large piece of that is people literally not knowing that what they're dealing with is OCD. They tend to think if I started, you know, having these unwanted thoughts, like sexual thoughts about kids, this can't be OCD. I don't wash my hands compulsively. And that's what kept me stuck without a diagnosis was I don't fit in with somebody who has OCD. Like there's no way that what I'm experiencing is that. So while some people might think, who cares? It's just Monica on friends. Like, why is it such a big deal? It is a big deal because people die, you know, not knowing that what they're experiencing is OCD. Oh, media. Thank you. This is like, I, this is helpful for me. And I like 
academically know 95% of this information. So I know that everyone listening is just going to be so grateful to you, Allegra. Thank you. Um, you mentioned exposure, exposure and response prevention. Yes. And I want to talk about that and other effective treatments like mindfulness skills training. Oh, love. And I'm also curious if um, DBT, if you have found has been helpful for people with OCD or not? And we can kind of sidebar that if you want. Another great question. So exposure and response prevention, we can start with that, is the gold standard treatment for OCD. And essentially what that entails is exposing yourself to your fear head on. And then the response prevention piece is while you are simultaneously preventing yourself from performing a compulsive ritual. People tend to think of exposure therapy as torturous and yeah. awful and cruel, and that is not what it is if it is done effectively. Oftentimes, exposures are things that people do in everyday life. It's just the thing that someone with OCD is avoiding compulsively. Mm. Exposure for a client with sexual thoughts about their newborn would quite literally be changing your baby's diaper while avoiding checking to see if you feel arousal. Like that is an exposure. That is something that every new parent does is change their baby's diaper. Or it could look like you're going to open the door to your apartment building and you're not going to sanitize after. Everybody opens the door to their apartment building. Sometimes there are things that people do that, you know, we don't do in everyday life. Like I might have a client watch like the Jeffrey Dahmer series on Netflix as let's say they have violent obsessions as a way to help them kind of face that head on and practice response prevention during. So when those thoughts arise, like, what if this is me? Could I be Jeffrey Dahmer? Did I turn into him? Practicing avoiding compulsive rituals and turning the attention back to the TV show. So yes, there are some things that we do in exposure therapy that like the everyday person might not, but it typically involves facing fears head on that other people do. It's just the thing that someone with OCD is avoiding. That's very, thank you for explaining that. And, and I want to add one more thing, because you asked about relationship OCD, like for someone with relationship obsessions who fears that they're not with like the right partner, they might avoid sex with their partner compulsively. They might avoid any kind of intimacy because they're so afraid that you know, they're not with the right person. And if they have sex, they're not going to feel the right way. And that's going to prove it that they're in the wrong relationship. So oftentimes exposure for someone with relationship OCD might be if obviously they're consenting and they want to let's get back into intimacy with your partner and then practice while you're intimate with your partner, not checking to see how aroused you are. So then what about mindfulness skills training? How does oh, that weave that. in here? It's so important for someone with OCD to be mindful for a couple of different reasons. First and foremost is, like I said earlier, the person with OCD tends to get unrelenting, unwanted, intrusive thoughts. And the natural inclination, of course, I say this to all of my clients, of course, you don't want to be having these thoughts. Of course, you want to get rid of these thoughts. Like who wants to walk around and have mental images of their dad's penis pop into their mind, you know, like right, not, right. not seeing your dad's penis, but you know what I mean? Like the brain can come up with anything. Yeah. I mean, your you brain know? can decide that you've seen it and create an go. image in your head. That's exactly it. Or yeah. 
you know, an image of you hitting someone in a motorcycle and them dying, whatever it might be. Of course, you don't want to be experiencing these things, but the natural inclination for someone with OCD is let me suppress it. Let me get rid of it. Let me perform a compulsion to neutralize it. And those are the things that make those intrusive thoughts and the obsession even worse. So what mindfulness does is it helps someone take a very non-judgmental stance in response to the obsessions. So it's you're noticing, yes, I'm having this thought. I'm going to let it exist. I'm not going to fight with it, but I'm also not going to engage with it compulsively. And then I'm going to redirect my attention to the present moment. That's helping us not perform compulsions. It's helping us just allow that the brain has, you know, produced a thought or an image or an urge. And then also it's helping us accept the presence of unwanted feelings like anxiety. People with OCD tend to experience a ton of distress in response to the obsession. And again, if we're trying to push it away and get rid of it, it's probably going to exacerbate it. So mindfulness helps someone really learn how to sit with those feelings without judgment and without resistance. That's beautiful. So DBT, what are your thoughts on that as treatment for OCD? No. (laughs) <laughs> no, <laughs> not that it can't be like, I think that there are certain things that might be helpful, like, you know, distress tolerance. Someone would say, well, someone with OCD is very anxious and distressed. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't we help them manage their emotions? The thing that tends to happen is we often don't in terms of OCD treatment, it's kind of contraindicated to use things like taking a cold shower when you're having obsessions or, um, I'm trying to, I'm not like super DBT familiar, but like doing something okay. to yeah. regulate your emotions, like deep breathing. Yeah. It yeah. tends to become compulsive for the person where it's now, every time I have this obsession and the anxiety accompanied with the obsession, I have to do something to get rid of it. Let me get into the shower. Let me, we don't want to do that. Yeah. With so those, the tools just become new compulsions yes, to 100%. cope with the obsessions. Right. Which we don't want to do. We want someone to transform their relationship with anxiety and discomfort. We want to show them that you can experience this anxiety and discomfort, and you actually don't need to do anything about it. You do not need to perform the compulsion. Anxiety will fall naturally. The compulsion is not the answer. So people with OCD will tend to use DBT skills compulsively. Let me get rid of, let me And it's important to note that even ERP, exposure and response prevention, can become compulsive. That's why it takes a very skilled clinician. Sometimes clients will come in and say, I want to do 10 hours of exposures every day to really get rid of this obsession. No, we're not going to do that. That's very contraindicated. That's not the point of this. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I never even... So... I've never sent anyone with an OCD diagnosis to a DBT group. I want to name that off the top. But <laughs> You're like, I have never done it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Never, no, clean hands with that. Um, but I, this is so interesting because I never put those two together that that could actually, like, the, the contraindication is really about the treatment itself and, and that the coping skills learned then just become part of the bigger problem. Yeah, they become part of a ritual for a lot of people. It's like every time now I must breathe in this way to get rid of anxiety. Right. When we're trying to break that ritual. Yes. And this speaks so much to why getting an accurate diagnosis is so fucking important. Oh my God. It's the most important thing ever. It's the most important thing ever for sure. 
So what do you recommend? Because I, I know what I've talked about, but I want to get your input on this. What do you recommend for people if they're like, I've seen different therapists, I've been to different psychiatrists, everyone has kind of told me I have something different. I have anxiety. I've been diagnosed with depression. They've told me to try this group. They told me to try that group. What do you recommend someone does? What are the best practices for them to get an accurate diagnosis? So I would say number one, interrogate the shit out of the therapist that you are going to see, like Google something like OCD specialist in my area, mm. find a couple of therapists, even better. Actually, there's a foundation called the IOCDF. It's like the international OCD foundation, and they have a find help directory on their website. So any therapist that is on that directory has been vetted. I'm not saying that they're good therapists, but they have been vetted and have training in OCD. Find a couple to reach out to and ask a lot of questions. Number one is how much of your caseload has OCD? They might say, oh, I have two clients who have OCD. Mm, probably not good enough. They might yep. say I have 80% of my caseload has OCD. That's more on the money. Ask about what treatment looks like. How would you treat my symptoms? Ask about, you know, what experience do you have with X OCD theme? Not that the theme matters, it's all OCD at the end of the day and it's all treated the same, but if someone has only treated contamination obsessions and they don't understand, you know, sexual obsessions, violent obsession, sure. they're not going to understand how to treat you. They might think that the person actually wants to do these things. Right. So asking, do you have experience with this theme? And then doing an assessment and seeing if it feels like a good fit, seeing if it feels like this person actually knows what they're doing. So do you think it is quote unquote, okay for someone to make this phone call and say, Hey, I've been diagnosed with a lot of different stuff. And I listened to this podcast episode and I think I might have OCD. Can you assess me for it? Absolutely. Yeah. Because a lot of people do receive like generalized anxiety disorder. A lot of my clients with OCD got diagnosed with that when what they're actually dealing with is OCD. And while there are similarities, there's also differences. Yeah. So yeah, going to a therapist and saying, I've had, you know, X, Y, and Z diagnosis that don't really seem to fit. I believe I have OCD. Can you assess me for this? And hopefully the therapist can, if they can't, that's probably a red flag. Right. Because an OCD specialist can assess pretty damn easily. Right. Like I can always tell when somebody comes into my office with OCD as opposed to something else. It's just how distressed they are. It's so clear. Do you ever work with psychiatrists around this? Like is, is medication a, a helpful tool when it comes to OCD? Yes. So like, obviously I can't provide medical advice, but like from a lived yeah. experience perspective, medication changed my life for sure. I have such an overactive brain. Like I swear to you, I would always say to my therapist, like anything will stick. When my OCD was bad, I didn't want to go to group mm. therapy because it was like anybody else's obsession is going to become my obsession. That's how sticky the OCD brain is. So for me, medication really helped kind of take the edge off of obsessions and quiet my mind a little bit. Yeah. But it is important to find a psychiatrist who also understands OCD because again, this is not medical advice, but it typically requires more dosage of medication to help someone with OCD. It's something like three times the like normal amounts. Mm -hmm. And so a psychiatrist might say like, I'm going to give you 
30 milligrams of Zoloft. And that's not going to do shit for someone with OCD. Like right. that's literally like, not going to touch anything. Yeah. It's like shooting a BB gun into a barrel. Literally. Yeah. I'm going to be blasted. So. Yeah. <laughs> and not literally my clients are like, blast me. Um, so, <laughs> but it's medication's not required. I have some clients yeah. that say, I don't want it. Totally okay. fine. Let's try it without, but it can be so helpful for so many. Oh, that's wonderful. Allegra, thank you. Is there anything that we didn't cover today that you want to say or share or like make sure that anyone listening hears before we say goodbye? Goodness. Um, yeah, I small question. Maybe, <laughs> what'd you say? I said, yeah, totally small question. <laughs> I'm like everything. Yeah. I would say, I don't feel like I touched on it enough. Mental compulsions being compulsions is so important. So mm. a client might go into a therapist's office and the therapist says, well, I don't see any compulsions. They're not sanitizing. They're not tapping. They're not rearranging, whatever it might be. Mental compulsions are compulsions rumination, mental review of the past, neutralizing thoughts, like re replacing a quote unquote bad thought with a good thought, um, self-reassurance. It could be compulsive prayer mentally. So it's really important to recognize that even if you're not performing physical compulsions, you can still have OCD. Mental compulsions are just as compulsive and need to be treated. Beautiful, beautiful. So where can people find you? If they're like, oh, fuck me, I need, <laughs> I, need I, I need Allegra. Blast me, I need help. Um, yeah. So at Obsessively Ever After on Instagram is, I pretty much only use Instagram. I've never got into TikTok. I feel like I should, but I Same. just can't. It's I can't. Too much. Yeah, I know. It's too Same. much. So Obsessively Ever After, I also write for Psychology Today and Very Well Mind. I do monthly OCD workshops that you can find at my website, AllegraCastens.com. Amazing. And we'll link all of these in the notes. So whatever platform you're listening to this on, just click on your phone and they'll be there because it's fucking magic. Um, Allegra, thank you so much for sharing you're your time, so your energy, your expertise, just everything. It's so wonderful. I was telling another therapist friend this the other day. I, there are not a lot of therapists that I trust. And that yeah. sucks to say, like, it, it, I hate saying it out loud. And I know that I have had listeners or Instagram followers or even clients be like, Rachel, why would you say that? <laughs> like, it's yeah, not very it's optimistic, <laughs> but it's true. And yeah. so when I find someone like you, I'm like, everyone, please hear this person. <laughs> I love that. I'm just so grateful that you exist in this world. And thank, thank you so you. much. That's all for today, you sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together. <laughs>